Well, that was fabulous. I so am so thankful to the grace for the grace of God who continues to minister in people's hearts and their lives. These ongoing baptisms, I'm sure it blesses your heart as well. And um, last Sunday night we had, uh, I believe, the, the greatest number of people concentrated in one area for a prayer service. Somewhere between four and 500 people here on our lot last Sunday night praying uh, fervently. And I trust that you continue to pray through the week and we'll continue to pray for those, those uh, prayer requests that we have and um, calling out to the Lord. And thank you for being here. So glad to have you here this weekend. What a beautiful day, weekend that the Lord has given to us <clears throat> and a beautiful day to be here together with you. We've completed our series on identity crisis, the doctrine of the church. And I think this is going to be a, a great sequel to that series. Our, our next series now, Elijah and Elisha, uh, Daring Dudes in Dark Days. Um, this is going to help us to understand how to live uh, in spiritually dark times because the, the times that we live in are definitely, would definitely be classified as increasingly spiritual, spiritually dark. And there are biblical examples throughout history of what happens when people abandon or when a culture abandons the Lord. Yes, the time of... Uh, Elijah, of course, when Elijah was just a child, when he, uh, there was a king by the name of Asa who was ruling at the time. And there's a description in 2 Chronicles of what it was like in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And the description there, of course, is this. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And then it states this. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. It was not, in those days, it was not safe to travel about. For all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. That gives us a little bit of a backdrop setting historically of the time of Elijah when he was first, as I said, a child. Uh, the, the time in Israel was difficult. It was spiritually very dark, very dark days. I would submit to you that we are living in very dark days as well. There is a study that I noted this week. It was posted in the Christian Post. The study was done by American Worldview Inventory 2021. It's uh, done by Arizona Christian University. And in, if you want to know where, of course, a culture is heading, all you have to do is poll the spiritual values of the youth of that culture. Obviously, the youth are where the culture is going. And in this particular study, it was discovered that 43% of millennials, which are people aged 20 to 38, either don't know, don't care, or don't believe God exists. 
that's almost half of the people of that age group, which is a significant increase over the generation before them and not in the right direction. In fact, the millennials, the 20 to 38 year olds, it says here, embrace horoscopes as a guide, karma as a life principle, see getting even with others as defensible, accept evolution over creation. And this one will, I would presume, give you some chills. View owning property as fostering economic injustice. If you know anything about where things are heading, you will know what that is actually, that statement actually means. And so that's the state of affairs that we live in as well. So we, we live in a, a time that's not too dissimilar to the time of Elijah. The government was a mess. God's word was despised. False religion was the mainstream religion. And God's people had been muted. As Elijah tried to find more people to support him, he couldn't because God's people were all scattered and, and uh, were hiding and muted. In fact, in 1 Kings, which we're going to settle on today, in 1 Kings and uh, chapter 16, it gives a statement here of, of the situation. Ahab, son of Omri, who had become king, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. So the Jewish king married a pagan Gentile woman. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Heel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. You'd have to look back in the book of Joshua to realize that Joshua cursed the city of Jericho and stated that anybody who tried to rebuild it would lose their first and second son. But people were not paying any attention to the word of God. And that's the situation that we encounter at the time of Elijah the prophet. But what we learn in the New Testament is that this very same prophet Elijah was praying. He was praying because of the desperate situation of his people. And most of you are familiar with the, the uh, verses that describe Elijah in the book of James, James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, we've studied this many times, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then it says this, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now why was Elijah praying 
that it would not rain. Well, you'd have to go back, way back to the early part of the Bible, to the book of Deuteronomy, and you would find in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17, that it says there, be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the, the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. Now remember what we just read. King Ahab had established pagan worship, false gods in Israel. In Deuteronomy, it states there according to the law that if any, any of God's people were to set up false gods and worship them, that God would withhold the rain, that God would cause a drought to come on the land. And so Elijah the prophet, according to the book of James, was praying according to the scriptures that because of the faithlessness of, the, of God's people, that God would fulfill his word and judge the people that they might in fact turn their hearts back to God. So here we have in context the reason Elijah was praying. He was praying the word of God that judgment would come so that people would turn back to the Lord. You need to know this before we begin in, in, in our series here that God regularly uses you to be the answer to your own prayer. So always be careful what you pray. And God will grant you the assignment often that your prayer initiates. And that's precisely what happens at what we're going to see in our study this morning. That Elijah prayed that God would judge based on his word and God took him up on it. And so now the prophet boldly comes before the king in 1 Kings 17 and calls him out for his false worship. Notice in 1 Kings 17, that's where we'll stay today, verses 1 uh, to 6. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will, neither, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine east of Jordan and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. This is the word of God. Beloved, what we need to know, as I've shared with you the last couple of weeks and others have said before, that God's word is an ultimatum. It's never a conciliatory negotiation. It's never a cultural compromise. God's word doesn't try to match the trends of the culture, cultural sensitivities and, and then water down, its, water down the word. God's word is always an ultimatum and his prophets are tasked with simply delivering God's word. And that's our mission as well. The mission of each of us as God's people. We are tasked simply with delivering God's word as it has been given to us. 
So this morning, as we begin this new series, I want to look in the text at three foundational convictions that you need to thrive when the days are spiritually dark. Three foundational convictions that each of us need that Elijah demonstrated and God built into his heart that you will, will enable you to, to thrive and take heart in these days that are spiritually dark. And the first is this. You must be convinced of the reality of God. You must be convinced of the reality of God. Where do I see that? Well, in verse 1, Elijah said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. As sure, it was, it was a statement to the, to the king, As sure as the God of Israel lives, I have something to say to you. You have to be, you ha we have to have this as a foundational conviction, that we believe our God lives. In a society that for the most part believes that God doesn't matter, and actually for the most part believes that God doesn't exist or that God is dead. We have to be people as a foundational conviction who believe that our God lives, that Jesus Christ is the living Lord. Now keep in mind that the story we're, we're about to see in, a few, in several weeks from now is to, is to be a showdown between the false God Baal and the true and living God, uh, God of Israel, Yahweh. Is going to be a showdown of who truly is the living God. And I'm going to have a, a lot more to say about the God Baal next week, uh, Lord willing. But suffice it to say, the God Baal was the God of rain and the God of fertility. And so he was considered uh, the God of economic prosperity of the agrarian culture of Israel. And they were rejecting the living God in favor of this dead God, Baal. No God at all. And so Elijah comes before the king with his daring and bold statement and says, As sure as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, convinced of the reality of God. If Yahweh can withhold rain, then Baal is out of a job. And so what is most significant? What is the most significant effect on a culture like that and a culture like we live? In, in, in other words, what will convince this culture of the truth of God's Word? I would submit to you that it's not more knowledge. This culture has more knowledge than any culture has ever had. It's not more noise. There's plenty of noise out there. Plenty of people speaking loudly and forcefully. It won't be compromise, compromising with the secular strategies or tactics of the day. There are plenty of great things that human beings are able to do and people just yawn. But what really grabs the attention of this culture is evidence of divine reality in your life. That's what grabs people's attention. And in order for that to happen, you have to have a firm foundational conviction that Jesus Christ is alive and alive in you. And so I ask you today in terms of a question, what in your life makes you certain 
that God is alive? What is it in your life that makes you certain that God is alive? If you are struggling to answer that question, then the people around you are certainly struggling to see any evidence of God in your life. Keep in mind that Jesus Christ commissioned us to be his witnesses, not his warriors, not as political activists, not that I have, not that I'm opposed to that. He commissioned us, though, first and foremost, to be his witnesses, to bear evidence of the reality of Jesus Christ, to witness in our lives, to testify to people of the reality of a living Jesus in our lives. That would, that's what witness means. That's what he's called us to be. To, the, to witness to the life-changing reality. That's what catches people's attention. It won't be by warrior. It won't be by political activism. It won't be by more knowledge. It won't be by more noise. But it will be by evidence of a real Jesus who is really alive and has really changed your life. The, um, the immoral direction of our Canada is not going to be turned around by political action. The moral direction of our country will be turned around one person at a time coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's our mission, to testify to the reality of God. What's the second foundational conviction that you must have according to this Life of Elijah text. Notice what it says again in verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve. The second foundational conviction, beloved, is this. You must be convinced that you represent Jesus Christ. You must be convinced that you have been appointed to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are you? Do you know who you are? Do you know that you are a representative of the King of Kings? I came across a very distressing statistic this week. And it is this. That 17% or sorry, 80, uh, 87, 83% of evangelicals do not know cannot define the Great Commission. 83% of evangelicals cannot define the Great Commission. I find that distressing and disturbing. I mean, think about this. We're talking about God's people. I would be heartbroken if I thought that those numbers existed at Calvary Baptist Church. If I were to say to you to define the Great Commission and you couldn't, after all of these years of teaching it to you, I would be entirely distressed. The Great Commission, I hope you realize, is to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatsoever things Christ has commanded us. That's the Great Commission. Beloved, a foundational conviction 
is that you know who you are, that you know who you represent, that you know that you've been called and commissioned by the King of Kings, that you have give, been given a royal commission by the Lord himself to be his witness, that you have been granted by the King of Kings a commission. It's quite a business card that each of us have. We are commissioned by the King of Kings to serve his purposes in this world. That's who we are. Now, um, in 2 Chronicles 15.2, the word of God comes to us there and makes the point that the Lord is with you when you are with him. God's people were abandoning God. And it's quite possible in our day, in the midst of this spiritual darkness, that there's a great temptation for God's people to move away from God. But I want you to know, notice, that in that time of Elijah, it says in Chronicles that the Lord, it says one nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. God was troubling the nations. I am 100% convinced that the situation that we find ourselves in now has everything to do with the judgment of God upon this world. Absolutely. It is God that is troubling our world. And I, w I was away with the guys at Moody Pastors Conference a few years ago. Dr. Tony Evans was preaching. I love Tony Evans preaching. I highly uh, commend him to you. And he said this, if God is your problem, only God is your solution. And if God is troubling this world of ours, and I believe that he is, it won't be solved by politics. It won't be solved by knowledge. It won't be solved by negotiation. It won't be solved by medicine. The solution to our day is God. And it is up to us as God's people to serve him with all of our hearts. And we will only make a bold move to confront the culture if we are convinced that God is alive and that we are his servants commissioned by him. So we need all kinds of people in all different walks of life to have that kind of foundational conviction that God is alive and that you serve him. We need, we need people in, in medicine. We need lawyers who are convicted that God is alive and that, that they serve God. We need people who are politicians and political consultants. We need managers and teachers and, and builders and tradespeople. We need business people who have that purpose in life that they, are con they have firm convictions that God is alive, that Jesus Christ is alive, and that we are his servants serving him as witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need people in every, we need Christian people in every walk of life to infiltrate this culture with a passion and a purpose to serve God with Elijah hearts. That will seek to boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And will explain at the workplace 
The reason I live this way. The reason I choose this decision over that decision. The reason that you see how I operate in my workplace this way is because I believe that Jesus Christ is alive and I serve him as his witness to the truth of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need that in every walk of life in these days. Well, there's a third and a final uh, conviction that you must have, and that is this. Uh, the Lord, or the Word of God came to Elijah in verse 2, said, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth River, ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered ravens to feed you there. The third conviction, firm foundational conviction you must have, is that you must be convinced of the resourcefulness of the Lord to provide all that you need for all he wants to do through you. And listen, keep in mind, I, I don't know if you've encountered this story in the Bible before, but the Lord told Elijah to go and hide by a brook in a ravine and that he would feed him with birds, using birds. Uh, you know, we might think we're uh, special in our our DoorDash delivery, but God has designed that a long time ago. He had a BirdDash delivery going on years before, delivering sandwiches and uh, provided Adam's ale for Elijah a long time ago. So this, this is not new, what's going on here today. But Elijah had to believe in the resourcefulness of God against all odds. And beloved, it's the same with you. It's the same with me. If we are going to have, if we are going to thrive during a time of spiritual darkness like we're living in, we have to believe that God lives, that we serve Him, and that He is entirely resourceful to take care of us no matter what situation He places us in. Now keep in mind, that all of this came about because Elijah was praying the word of God. He was praying that God would come good on his promise that judgment would come on his people if they, would be, if they were faithless toward him. Now, I don't know if you've ever prayed this way or not, but do you realize how Elijah was praying? Elijah was praying against prosperity. His prayer was that God would judge the land with a drought. That's a very unusual way to pray. Elijah was praying against personal comfort. That's a very unusual way to pray. Elijah was so in tune with the heart of God, because it says he was a righteous man, that he prayed a prayer according to the will of God even if it would be uncomfortable to him. Beloved, there's a certain faith that comes with that kind of prayer life. And you might be stay, saying to yourself this morning, well, I could never pray like that. Elijah's a special prophet, you know, a special individual. Well, the, I, I have news for you. James said, Elijah's a man just like you. Elijah's a human being just like you. 
He didn't have any more resources than you have. He had the same resources you and I have. He had the resources of prayer and he had the resources of God's word. There was nothing special about Elijah. But there's a lot special about the God that he talked to. That's the reality of this. And it's the same with you and I. And he had the faith to believe. I mean, he, he prayed and he followed the word of God. And there's a lot of people who pray and they follow the word of God. But what he did beyond that is to actually believe in the word of God. To believe what God said would be so. I think it's Howard Hendricks who coined the term saved unbelievers. Now I want, you, I want to uh, give a description of what that means. Saved un unbelievers are people who are saved by the grace of God, but live their lives failing to benefit from all of the things that God has provided and promised because they don't have faith to believe. So he calls them saved unbelievers. And I know it's an odd juxtaposition, but there are a lot of Christians like that. That's the difference between Elijah and his boldness and having foundational convictions and other Christians who say, well, you know what? Nothing really ever big happens around me. God never seems to do anything big around me. God doesn't do anything big around you because you don't believe that God is big enough to do anything big around you. Elijah believed. Elijah was bold enough. It says in the text that he went to the ravine as he was told and trusted that God would provide. So, um, why did God send him into hiding? Well, there's several reasons, I believe, not the least of which is to protect him from an evil king because you know that as soon as he made that statement and Jezebel heard about it, they were after his life. But you need to know that in that Second Chronicles 15 text, it states there that if you forsake God, he will forsake you. And not only was there a drought of rain and dew, but there ultimately became a drought of God's word. If a nation of people continue to faithlessly turn away from God, God will withdraw himself from that nation and leave them with a drought of his word. And I believe that he sent Elijah away to hide as further judgment upon the land. And I believe that if Canada continues to treat the church of Jesus Christ with contempt, there will be a growing drought of the word of God in this country. We're seeing it happen before our very eyes. If a country kicks God out, God will walk away. We have history to prove this to be so. That's why it's so vital for us to get the message of Jesus Christ out to the population, out to this, this world. And so um, Elijah does what God tells him to do and actually goes into hiding. And God provides takeout food for a long time until the brook dries up. We'll talk about that in a moment. Now, 
One of the challenges that we have in taking God at His Word and actually making the hard call, the hard decision to pray against prosperity or to pray against personal comfort, if that's the will of God, is because we generally want to live with what we have. We don't want discomfort. We, we don't want to be inconvenienced by God. I remember when um, God was calling, I believe that God was calling me to, to leave the, the career that I had and, and to train for vocational ministry. And I remember a prayer that I stated to God, and I'll tell you the prayer in a moment. But I, I stated a prayer and then God took me up on it and then I, I issued another prayer to God. And the prayer was, God, I'm willing to step out and serve you but I don't want any major disturbances in my life. So, if you could, I would appreciate that I could minister at home, that I could stay in the city where you called me, or at least in the county where you called me. And so for a little while, God indulged me. Only, I think, because of my, the weakness of my own faith. Because the prayer that I'd actually prayed to God when he took me up on it was this. Lord, I'll do anything, anytime, anywhere. That's a different prayer, isn't it? The, the second prayer that I made was a prayer of convenience. And you see, often we want to live on what we have when God wants us to live on who we need. And so God was preparing Elijah, testing Elijah, growing Elijah. He will grow you. He will test you. He will not indulge you in prayers that don't grow you. And event, it wasn't very long before everything dried up in, the, in, the, in my home area. And God sent me out. We want to live on what we have God wants us to live on who we need. Beloved, foundational convictions. Believe that God is alive. Believe that you serve God. Believe that God is resourceful and able to provide for what he calls you to do. As we wrap this up this morning, let me just point out to you that God had placed Elijah out in this ravine. He was feeding him. He was providing uh, water for him. And then verse 8 says this, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Well, of course, the consequences of, of Elijah's prayer are now nothing to drink. The brook dries up. We're going to study this more next week, but invariably God will test you after you've said yes to God and you've obeyed God and you've done what he's told you to do and you've, you've stared in the face uh, dark days, God will continue to test you. And the brook will dry up that you've been depending upon. But know this, that if you continue in your life to ask to be like Christ, you will probably sit beside your share of drying brooks. Because God 
does not want you to have faith in what he provides for you. He wants you to put your faith in the provider. And you will continue to face test upon test of drying up brooks until God continues to, until God finally and continues to mold your life into full dependence upon Him and Him alone in dark days, dark spiritual days. You remember when Jesus was with His disciples on the ship in the Sea of Galilee, and there was an entourage of boats, and Jesus said, push out, and we're going to the other side. And then Jesus went to the back of the boat, fell asleep, and a great storm came up. And the disciples were panicking and fearful and, and, and they ran, went to the back of the boat because the boat was taking on water. And Jesus said two things to them. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? That's great having that landing right now. Why are you afraid? And then he says to them, have you no faith? The situation was dire. But they had forgotten to listen to the word of God. Jesus had already said to them, we're going to the other side. Jesus didn't say we're going out into the Galilee to sink and drown. He said, we're going to the other side. Our eyes are constantly focused on provision and things and all, all the substances around us and material things around us. God will continue to test your life on these foundational convictions until your faith is no longer on what you see and what you touch and what you taste, but your faith is finally fixed on who provides for you. We want to live on what we have. God wants us to live on who we need. And we need Jesus Christ every minute of our lives. So beloved, the final question for this morning is this. What do you do with the word of the Lord? In verse 5, Elijah, it says, so Elijah did what the Lord said. In verse 10, it says, So Elijah did what the Lord said. And beloved, as I call on you as God's people here at Calvary, do what the Lord says. Trust Him. Have faith in Him in these dark days. Foundational convictions. God lives. You are His servant. And He will provide because He is entirely resourceful to carry you on the assignments that He has for you even if you can't see the resources in front of you. Father, thank you so much for our time together this morning. We bless your name. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for um, this word to us, this example of your provision. Lord God, help us in these dark spiritual days. And I pray that we will be bold in our faith, believing that God lives, believing that we serve him, and believing, oh Lord, that you are resourceful and will provide for the call on our lives, regardless of what we see. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.